Well, thanks for joining us again. We are going to be discussing a little bit about how we can go about preventing the onset of illnesses, looking at ways in which we can go about preventing the development of particularly cold and flu symptoms, but other symptoms that we have to worry about, looking at the idea about how we can go about vaccinating ourselves against some of the illnesses that we might face and what vaccines actually are doing without getting into all of the sociological and psychological issues, which we'll talk about at a later date. So we have to interact with everybody around us, but we can't go around living in a bubble. We can't go around wearing hazmat suits without having people look at us weird. So how can we go about protecting ourselves? What can we do in order to ensure that we minimize the chances of us becoming infectious and contagious? So let's talk about that. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. So when we're looking at this idea about how we can go about preventing infectious diseases from spreading throughout the community and infecting ourselves, what we're really looking at is we're looking at, okay, how does the immune system go about functioning in such a way as to minimize the impact of interactions with infectious agents? Because we cannot go about limiting the exposure to infectious agents. They're, they're going to be around us, the bugs, the germs, the viruses, the bacterium, the, fun, the fungies. They're going to be around. We cannot not interact with them. But we want to be able to interact with them without becoming contagious. And what to remember is that just because we have infections doesn't mean that we're automatically going to be contagious. The necessity between the difference between contagious and infectious is, can I spread what I have to somebody else or not? And so just because I'm infected with something doesn't mean that I'm contagious. However, if I am contagious, that means that I am infected with something. And so when we're looking at this, what we're really looking at is the idea of what's referred to as immunocompetence. That is, does the immune system have the capacity to protect the body from infectious agents without me showing signs and symptoms of the infection and becoming contagious to others in the community? And so when we're looking at this immunocompetence, what we're really looking at is we're looking at the, the impact that two distinct types of cells have. The two distinct, two distinct types of cells that we're looking at are the T cells and the B cells. And they're going to activate and respond very differently from each other. The T cells are going to be responsible for going after any type of infected cell. And you can put quotes around this, killing it. And so what ends up happening is that when we have infections taking place, little markers on the cell membranes, which we refer to as antigens, display a different type of antigen, either an antigen that indicates that, hey, I'm infected, or an antigen that says, hey, I don't belong to me. And what this does is this antigen allows for the T cells that are matured to become active when they interact with them. And what it does is it starts a whole hormonal response system, what we refer to as the interleukin system. And what that interleukin system does is it starts to activate more T cells 
and B cells. What the B cells are going to do is the B cells are going to start producing antibodies. And what the T cells are going to do is the T cells are going to go around and they're going to, once again, quote unquote, kill the infected cells that they're able to indicate as being not me or indicate as being infected. And so what ends up happening is that when we have infections taking place, the B cells, once they're activated, will start to produce antibodies that will match up with either the not self antigen or the infected cell antigen. This is what's referred to as the antibody-mediated response system. The antibody-mediated response system is going to label cells, and the labeling of cells is going to ensure that the correct cells will be destroyed by the, immune ce- by, by the other immune cells, the T cells and the macrophages, in such a way that we can minimize the ability for the infectious agent to replicate and cause ourselves to become sick. And so when the B cells start to produce all these antibodies, it's going to go around, it's going to label, and it's going to label, and it's going to label. And every time it labels, what it does is it acts as a marker of attraction for either the killer T cells or for the macrophages to come in and take care of the infected areas. And so when we look at this, we have a whole line of processes that take place within the developing of immunocompetence. Every time we interact with new infectious agents, new things that can infect us and make us sick, we have to go through a whole cascade of events. When we're talking about the ability to be competent against a disease or against an infection, what we're really saying is that the T cell or B cell is able to instigate a response immediately, and the B cells can produce antibodies to ensure that we are having a localized, specific response, as opposed to a generalized, global response. And so we're sitting here, okay, so we're looking at these two types of cells and how they go about functioning, but how? How is it going to be able to do this? And what it's really looking at is it's looking at the activation pathways. And what's going to lead to the ability for the T cells and the B cells to know what to do, put quotes around that, to ensure that we might be infected, but we don't get sick and we don't become contagious. That's two key issues here. We don't want to get sick and we don't want to be contagious. And it's all about how we go about the activation pathway. Anytime something is new to the body in terms of an infectious agent, It's always going to be systemic. It's always going to be global. It's going to be throughout the whole entire body. Whenever we have this systemic global response, you can think of this as being sick. And it's going to be mediated by a whole bunch of neuroendocrine hormonal responses. As I start interacting with that same infectious agent again and again and again, I stop having global systemic responses. I stop having full body responses where I'm sick. And I start having more localized responses. And that's simply because the T cells and the B cells understand how to go about the activation pathway. If we tie this in with other means by which we can minimize stresses within the body and stresses to the body, we can ensure that our overall level of inflammation or overall level of stress or overall level of immune response is specifically geared to taking care of that infectious agent. 
So why does chicken soup help out when I when I'm sick? It's not a cure-all, but what it does is that it's going to lower my overall level of stress. And by lowering my overall level of stress, it's going to help with my immune response and my inflammatory response so that my immune cells can specifically target those cells that are infected or the infectious agent that happens to be within my body. And so what's this activation sequence going to look like? How do we go from having an unknown, unable to mount defense to a known able? So it starts off with something new coming in. And that new thing coming in is going to activate the T cells and the B cells. And it's going to activate through hormone releases, through what's referred to as a cytotoxic response, a killer response. The hormone releases are going to lead to activations of T cells and B cells. The hormone responses, the inflammatory responses are going to lead to changes in fluid flow through the body, which is going to lead to to inflammation. It's going to lead to a change in metabolism. That change in metabolism, that change in fluid movement is going to lead to some of those kind of achiness that I might feel, some of the soreness that I might feel, a little bit of that feverish issue that might come about. The B cells are going to become active and they're going to start to release antibodies. If you look in a lot of the the literature or if you look in any of the textbooks, sometimes they refer to these as immunoglobulins. Those are simply just proteins that are part of the immune system. Some of these hormones, some of these immunoglobulins act as what's referred to as a complement protein. And those are going to be things that will complement the actions of the T cells and the B cells. When the B cells start to undergo production and release of the immunoglobulins, the immunoglobulins, the antibodies, are going to go and they're going to tag or quote unquote mark the antigens that don't belong to the body. And what these antigen markers do is that they act as an attractant signal to our T cells that are active for killing and for macrophages. The more action that we have between the T cells and the macrophages, the more inflammation we're going to get within an area. And that's going to lead to more hormone response, more neuroendocrine response, which is going to cause a bigger shift in our metabolism, a bigger shift in our fluid flows through the body, which is going to lead to that global response, that kind of I feel sick response. And this right here is what's going to develop into the systemic issue. This I'm showing that I am sick. After a few days, after a week, depending upon the illness, the body is able to eliminate it. We're able to get over the infection. Any T cell or B cell that remains from that activation sequence takes on a memory state to that activation sequence, which means that the next time that pathogen, that infectious agent comes in, instead of having to go through this whole kind of cascade of events that starts off with an endocrine response or hormone response, which causes a fluid shift, which causes an inflammatory response, which causes an immune response, which causes more immune response, which causes more inflammation, which causes more symptoms to come about. We're now able to stay focused in terms of our responses because we're able to recognize that infectious agent. And we're able to specifically target that infectious agent and trigger just one side of the cascade of events that is geared up to simply eliminate the infectious agent. When we have this memory 
we become infected, but we don't become contagious. We become infected, we're able to eliminate the infection before we take on the symptoms of being ill, before we take on the ability to become contagious, at least contagious to others who are also immunized against that pathogen. And that's becoming key with the issues as it relates to vaccinations and herd immunity and the development of herd immunity is that the more I'm able to become immunized to a pathogen, which is what's taking place here under a normal condition, and I'm able to survive that infection, I become immunized too, which means my immune system is immunocompetent to that infectious agent. I'm able to go about the immune responses in such a way that it is not a new novel event, but it is a known recognized event. And whenever I become known recognized, the time that it takes to eliminate becomes shorter and I develop greater amounts of memory and competence to that infectious agent. Now, we have to throw in a little bit of evolution comes into play here because we're going to get small little changes in those infectious agents, those pathogens that come into the body. And small little changes in those pathogens means that even if I've taken care of surviving a flu from, say, 2021, if it's a different flu in, say, 2023, the first time I encounter that, I have to go back and have to start the whole process over again. And so every time I get a small little variant in the infectious pathogen, I have to go backwards and start the whole process over, hopefully surviving the infection so that I'm able to become immunized to it. And so that's the pathway that we're looking at. And so when we look at this pathway of developing immunocompetence, we basically have the two distinct pathways here. The two, two distinct pathways is we have a passive acquisition and an active acquisition. The passive acquisition is comes about through vaccinations. That means that I'm not given an infection to survive, but I'm given something that's going to train the body as if it's been infected. That passive vaccination comes about through either injectable vaccinations or oral vaccinations. The first oral vaccination that most of us get are given is through exposure to the antibodies that our mother had when we breastfed. After that, most of the vaccinations that we get are done through injectables. And we'll look at some of the types of vaccines here, vaccines here in a second. The other way of becoming immunocompetent is going through that whole activation sequence every time we come in counter with a new vac a new pathogen that we don't have vaccines against or that we haven't been immunized against. And so the severity of illnesses that we see is going to be dependent upon how vaccinated we happen to be against something and how immunized we happen to be against something. Both vaccines and immunizations have a bit of a lifespan to them. And it depends upon what specific pathogen we're talking about as to how long the vaccines are going to last and what types of variants we might be exposed to, to the various pathogens that we have been vaccinated against or that we have been immunized against. And so what are the various types of vaccines that we have? And once again, we're not going to get into the whole psychological and sociological aspects of vaccines right now, or the concepts of herd immunity. We'll save that for a later date. The types of vaccines, we have what's referred to as the inactivated vaccines or the live attenuated vaccines. In this, what happens is that we have taken the pathogen, we've taken the infectious agent, and we've done something to that infectious agent that no longer makes it 
a pathogenic entity that is infectious. But what it does have is it does have the ability to trigger an antigen marker that indicates infection without us actually becoming infected. This is the key here. Vaccines do not cause us to become infected. But what they do is they trigger that initial activation response so that we're able to develop memory B cells and memory T cells. While some people claim this to be a more recent discovery, we're really looking at about two decades previous when we first started looking at these types of vaccines, what are referred to as the messenger RNA or the mRNA vaccines. This got in the social media feeds some bad rap in terms of how quote unquote, quickly RNA vaccines came about relative to the ex- exposure of the COVID-19 pandemic from 2019 2020. But which remembers that COVID-19 is a COVID virus that was first discovered in 2019. There are other types of COVID viruses out there. Simply, it's a coronavirus, and that is discussing what the shape of stuff happens to be within the virus envelope and within the virus itself. Influenza is another form of that type of coronavirus. And what the mRNA vaccines are going to do is it's going to take the RNA code for this a specific part of what's referred to as the envelope. That's the thing that's surrounding the vaccine. Or the RNA is going to code for the protein within the antigen markers. And what it does is that with the RNA vaccine, it gets injected. And what it does is that it causes cells to express the antigen for the infection. Once again, you're not being infected. You're not changing any of the DNA You're not changing any of the other genetic information of the body. But what you're you're doing is that you're producing what's sometimes referred to as a spike protein that's a small little part of the antigen marker that says, hey, cell is infected without actually being exposed to either an attenuated or an inactive virus or infectious pathogen or the pathogen itself. We then get what's referred to as the recombinant or conjugated types of vaccines. And what these are is these are taking the proteins that should trigger the response and we're injecting those proteins that should trigger the response and we're using that in order to train, once again, put quotes around that, the B cells and the T cells so that we have the appropriate immune response should we be exposed to that infectious agent, that pathogen, that disease-causing organism? The last ones are, are the, the vectors. And the vector vaccines are where we're simply taking small little parts of the virus or small little parts of uh, the proteins that might become uh, a toxic. And we're using those entities in order to induce the immunocomps in order to trigger the responses within the immune system that allows us to have the appropriate immunological responses within the body. And so those are the vaccines. And so what's the idea of vaccinations? Why do we do it? Is it harmful? And so it is not harmful, regardless of what we might see in media and in media feeds. Vaccines do not cause infection. There is nothing infectious in the vaccines. What the vaccines are doing is is providing that novel response that new pathogen response without actually having an infection. And it's doing this in order to train, put quotes around that, the immune system so that the T cells and the B cells understand how to coordinate their actions 
the B cells understand how to how to produce the antibodies that will label the infected antigen as being not self or as being infected cell so that we have a knowledge, put quotes around that, of how to go about dealing with that infectious agent. So we, we're going to train the immune system. It's going to limit the likelihood of getting sick. It's going to limit the likelihood of me showing signs and symptoms of infection, but it's also going to limit the ability for me to transmit that infection. It's going to develop memory cells so that when I actually am exposed to the pathogen itself, it's going to limit the likelihood of that pathogen fully infecting my body, making me sick. And thus, it's going to minimize the contagiousness of that specific pathogen. It's going to limit the spread of that pathogen amongst my close relatives, amongst those who I am living with, amongst those who I am working with, amongst those who I have day-to-day contact. It's going to minimize that spread. This is where the use of vaccinations become important when we start looking at eradications of diseases. By minimizing the contagiousness of a disease through vaccinations, we minimize that transmission of that disease within populations. It doesn't get rid of the pathogen. It doesn't get rid of the illness. But what it does is it limits the transmission within the population to be so low, so small, that people becoming infected becomes a rarity. And it becomes a rarity where we can use our pharmacological agents to treat the infected person very effectively and very efficiently. And so if we think back to all of the hoopla that was taking place in late 2019, early 2020, across most of our media and social media feeds pertaining to the COVID-19 pandemic, we didn't have vaccines for that COVID-19 or that strain of the COVID virus which became COVID-19, we didn't, ha- we didn't have vaccinations. We didn't have immunization to it. And so we couldn't use, effectively use, the, pharm- the pharmacological treatments that we know works for COVID viruses. And because of that, we overwhelmed the healthcare system. And we overwhelmed the health- healthcare system and the virus spread and spread and spread and spread because we didn't have immunization. We didn't have vaccination. We were not immunocompetent to it. With indistinct populations, we see more individuals at higher risk for infections relative to other individuals. And most of it has to deal with the activation pathways within the immune system and how much stress the immune system is under. Additionally, because of how most of the viruses that we see are going to be small little variants of other viruses. If we've been exposed to something similar, we have already set up a way to establish a response to something similar that the body is going to remember that similar issue and will mount an attack, put quotes around that, to the thing that was very similar. It may not be as effective as having the full immunization, the full vaccination against that known pathogen. But it's going to provide some line of defense within the body to that pathogen. And so what we have to remember is that vaccinations themselves are not going to cause the disease within the individual. 
it's not going to cause all of the other issues that we hear about within the news. It's not going to deal with other factors that go beyond just the immunocompetence and the ability to develop the means by which we're able to establish an immunocompetent response, a proper activation pathway within the body to the pathogen that we have the vaccination for. Because all we're doing is we're training the immune system in order to go through an immunocompetent response to the pathogen without having to become infected. If we get enough individuals to become vaccinated, we're able to establish a herd immunity faster than if we did it through what's referred to as natural immunization. Yes, people who were against the vaccinations are correct that we can develop herd immunity through infection. But the problem is, is that the time it takes to develop herd immunity through infection is excessively long. If we look historically at all of the pandemic and epidemic infections that have taken place, you're looking at decades upon decades of dealing with epidemic and pandemic infections before there's enough herd immunity through infections alone to allow for full herd immunity within a population. There is some speculation that it's going to take infections of between two-thirds to three-quarters of the entire population with survivorship to reach herd immunity through infection alone, which would mean that the population would have to drop by between 25% and 33% before the surviving population will have herd immunity against that infectious agent. If we get vaccinations against diseases, we can get what's referred to as eradication. Eradication means that the contagiousness of that pathogen drops. It doesn't mean that the pathogen no longer exists. It simply means that we do not see the pathogen being transmitted from individual to individual to individual within the population. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching if you're on the YouTube channel. Hopefully you got a little bit out of the discussion about vaccines and vaccinations. We'll be back with some more information about vaccines and vaccinations and the discussion about the psychological and sociological issues surrounding vaccines and vaccinations. If you like what we're putting out there, please make sure you have subscribed, rate and review, give us that big five stars. It's gonna help us out with all of the algorithms that are out there. Please make sure you're sharing what we're putting out with all of your friends and family. We greatly appreciate it. You can get us on any of the publication networks out there. 